Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. This is Megan McKimmy. And I'm Rachel Telford. Today is September 21st. Here is what's making your grain headlines this week. Filling in for Megan McKimmy on this segment of the podcast is Victoria Berry, Communications Manager at Grain Farmers of Ontario. And we're going to start off talking about some political topics, in specific some trade issues. The federal government went back this week and they're now debating the CPTPT. <laughs> and let me get that acronym right. That's the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. And it's really important for us that they ratify this agreement. And we know that the Liberals and the Conservatives are on board with that. But the NDP are the ones that are opposing ratification. So Victoria, we think this is an important trade agreement for farmers because of the success we've seen with CETA. That's right, yeah. Uh, as we head into one year of uh, CETA ratification and, and having it implemented, uh, and we're sort of celebrating successes that we've seen there, and it's a you know a good opportunity for us to look at the benefits of you know good solid trade agreements, um, and especially in some of these emerging markets, strong markets, but also emerging ones for us. Uh, and CPTPP really represents that. Um, so, so we'll see what happens and, and hopefully we can, um, you know, we'll continue our push in the background on ratification, our support of it. Uh, and then hopefully that will extend into some NAFTA talks and figuring out what can go on there. You know, it's so up in the air and every day's a new, a new world for NAFTA. I don't know if you've seen any information come out on, on what they're actually planning to do. So from what I understand, Ottawa has until October 1st to sign on. Mexico and the U.S. have reached an agreement, but Christian Freeland is back Back in the United States again this week, trying to hammer out a deal. But in terms of what the details are going to be, I think that is still up in the air. Trade relationships with the U.S. have been difficult lately, and not just for Canada, but China as well. Oh, absolutely. And speaking of that, uh, the U.S. is readying tariffs on 200 billion more Chinese goods uh, upcoming. Um, now, those goods are mostly furniture, can, some consumer goods, and a lot of technology and electronics, so not necessarily in, in the commodities uh, and, and impacting us that way, but a sign of continued tension and that we have to keep watching this volatile relationship and and understanding how, what the impact's going to be on us. And then I think uh, moving on a little bit, we also ha- in the news have um, the environment minister for uh, Rod Phillips for the Ontario government has announced that in the fall he will unveil a new Made in Ontario plan for climate change. Uh, no targets or any any numbers or, uh, you know, things have been announced that will come in the fall. Uh, it's important that the Ontario government uh, really come out with this plan and 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 and, a, and an action plan to implement it because the federal carbon tax kicks in in the next uh, next year for any province that doesn't have a you know a plan of its own um, to change uh, emissions and greenhouse gases and 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 all of that and so um, but in the meantime the Ontario uh, the Tories have sent a question to the Ontario Court of Appeal about whether. Uh, the Federal Greenhouse Gas Pollution Pricing Act is constitutional. This is a similar move to what the Saskatchewan government uh, is doing. And so we're both putting pressure um, on the provincial governments of appeals so that we could get a Supreme Court ruling on that. 
And I think that carbon tax has been a concern for farmers for quite some time now, just in terms of the increase in fuel costs that we've seen. And I guess also the perception that farmers are emitters as opposed to sequesters of carbon. And there's been some debate around that issue. I guess we just really want to know where do we sit in any sort of plan that goes forward when it comes to carbon? Exactly. Exactly. I think it's really important. It'll be important to see what the what the goals and targets will be for this new plan and then what the rollout action is and how that applies to us and what what maybe the different views that that climate plan might take into might take into consideration. It'll be really interesting to see. And then just to follow up on another federal political story that we've been following, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that Maxine Bernier was going to form his own political party. He stepped away from the conservatives and he was recently um, announced that his party is going to be known as the People's Party of Canada. Now, he did say that he isn't going to approach any current conservative MPs and ask them to join this new party that he's formed, but one never knows. And that could have implications for the next federal election coming up just a year from now. Oh, definitely. And I think as a country, we've, we've, We've kind of been through this a little bit. We'll have to see if it's any different than the last time we did have a, a conservative party that basically split in half or split in any sort of way. It'll be really interesting to see if it plays out differently or if history will repeat itself. And something that's different this time around is social media. Maxine Bernays already started to push very hard on social media to gain followers, to get donations, and just to get more people involved in his party. So that's going to be another interesting dynamic with this new development. Absolutely. It's a whole new ballgame. Coming up next on the podcast, Megan McKimmy and I speak with Dean Anderson. He's the chair of the Canadian Agricultural Safety Association. And we're going to discuss some safety tips for farmers as we head into the fall season, in particular, talk about grain entrapment. We are here live at Canada's Outdoor Farm Show, and we're here with Dean Anderson, and you're here with the CASA Bee Grain Safe trailer today. Uh, Dean, can you just tell us a bit about yourself and how you got involved with CASA? My daytime job is uh, Ag Strategy for Workplace Safety and Prevention Services, which is farm safety here in Ontario. So what we did in, for the show is the Canadian Ag Safety Association has brought their Bee Grain Safe program to Eastern, Can- to Eastern Canada. It's been a Western program till now, and uh, the Canadian Egg Safety Association, I'm on their board, I'm past chair, um, and one of the things that our role is, is to help provide for education and awareness for agriculture safety across the country to help out our provincial partners. And uh, how did you get involved as a board member? I've probably been with the CASA board several times on and off over the last 20 years. The primary reason is I was with the Farm Safety Association and Ontario represents about a quarter of the farmers in the country and so with a national partnership it makes sense to partner with them and find out uh, benefits I can get from British Columbia or I can get from Saskatchewan or I can you know anywhere in the country and the other thing is is that the reason I'm on the board is if you're going to participate you need to be part of the organization not just a, a user of the organization so we're a strong believer in the, in the program and the partnering. And and what else do you do around farm safety uh, with your position? My position is in the province. Um, we're one of the designated entities for occupational health and safety in the province. Uh, primarily, our funding comes from the Ministry of Labor, and it's for workplaces. But agriculture is a unique workplace in that probably 70% of the workplaces in the province are what we would call a family farm. So farm and home are the same location. There often aren't even any paid workers. By 
definition as the Ministry of Labor does it. So we really can't work just with the workers in, in the environment. It's a cultural and behavioral change, so we try and work for the sector. So we work with partners even like 4-H, even though half of 4-H are just rural environment kids. Um, we work with Equine Guelph because of the equine, which stretches into our racetrack industry and all of that, but it's still around horse safety. We work with groups like uh, Grain Farmers of Ontario. The main reason being a group like this is the fact that you've got a large number of membership to the overall number of farmers in, in Ontario. So by working with Grain Farmers of Ontario, we reach your membership without us having to go out and try and reach your membership. So we do an awful lot of partnering. And what are some of the, I guess, main safety concerns if we're talking about a grain farm and what you would want to say is one of the big messages for grain farmers? Well, I mean, the main message for farming in general is tractors are our big killer, um, but killers aren't our big stats. So tractors, runovers, rollovers are, are the, the two big killers. They probably make almost 50% of our fatalities. Grain incidents are, are not a major incident for us, but they do tend to be very traumatic when they happen, and they tend to involve a lot of people, and it's a growing statistic for us. So the number of incidents of people being trapped in North America in grain bins is increasing. We think it's due to the size of the bins. Um, I think it's the way we're starting to market and changes in the way we market our grain. So there's more grain being held on the farm, um, and the trouble is, depending on where you are, um, there's grain getting out of condition. And that tends to be where we have trouble, is the grain doesn't move properly in the grain bin. And then because we are a notorious industry for working alone, people go into the grain bin, which in a normal workplace we would consider a confined space. And when they do get into trouble, they don't have a partnered system where someone knows they've gotten into trouble. And so the incidents tend to end up being very traumatic when they occur, A, because they're working alone, and B, because the size of the equipment that we're working with, just incidents aren't the same as they used to be in a small greenery. <laughs> and when we talk about working alone, sometimes we think we're safe because we have our cell phones with us. But if you're talking about falling into a bin of grain, you're not going to be able to reach it. No, and, and the, the biggest trouble with the cell phone one is that whole idea, of, even if you have it in your in the dash of the vehicle, if you've fallen off the vehicle, you've gotten off to check a power takeoff, anything like that, and you leave it sitting in the tractor, you're not next to it. The other thing is, can you dial a number <laughs> is the other big problem with it. Um, so you've got to be able to, so you dial your wife's number and she doesn't pick up because she's somewhere not right in the house, not right next to the phone, and your emergency number you're dialing, no one's picking up. So it is a tool, but it's not the answer to working alone. The better thing for working alone is having a system where somebody contacts you, and then you have to respond. So the one I use is your wife's working in town. She's got a, a job in town. What she needs to do is about every two hours or so, she phones or texts you. And you have to respond. And if you don't respond, it can be just the numbers one, two, three, four, it doesn't matter what your message is, she needs to get a response. And if she doesn't, she sends another res another message. And if she doesn't get a response, then there needs to be a follow-up process. The follow-up process is probably she phones a neighbor because she's in town. So she can't get out there quickly. So she's going to phone a neighbor, and you offer this service to the neighbor. So same thing. 
his wife's working in town, he's working in the field. So you work with a system like that. So the cell phone is the tool, but it's not you sending the message, it's someone contacting you. And then that way, because if you can't, if, you, if you're in trouble and can't get to the phone, the system doesn't work. And, and there are, in industrial situations, there are tools that will do that. The person working along, it'll beep, a, a tool will beep at them and they need to push the button. And if they don't push the button, someone in the head office knows that someone in that part of the plant is in trouble because the system says they didn't respond. And that's a better way to work with a cell phone. And um, I've heard people mentioning this before, and I guess get your opinion on it. Um, I think a lot of uh, like safety organizations are encouraging farmers to get in touch with their local fire department and maybe even have them come out to the farm and get an idea of the layout of the farm just so if they ever have to respond to a... A call. I, there's two reasons for that. Uh, although the main reason is just so they become familiar. Yeah. Um, and, and it's familiar with A, where your water source is, if there's a fire, um, where you're storing your pesticides, um, where you're storing your welding tanks and your fuel, uh, those types of things. Um, to know where your confined spaces are. We don't refer them generally as confined space in farming, but a grain bin is an example, uh, manure storage. Um, you know, those types of things, so that if it's a hidden location and someone says fell into the manure tank, it's good that maybe the local fire chief knows where the manure tank is. The other thing that a firefighter visiting your location is, is he may point out some things. So instead of storing your gas tanks in jerry cans in your shop, why don't you store them outside in a caged in, you know, those kind of things. Um, he sees something that, you know, why don't you change where your shutoff is for those augering systems. Uh, they can offer suggestions because that's their, their role. They see these things every day. They do inspections all the time. Um, they, can, they can offer up those kind of suggestions. And they'll offer up the suggestion of why didn't you buy the $350 um, infrared camera at Canadian Tire and double check your wiring once every year or once every six months because, you know, in certain environments, the wiring actually, the brass gets the brass breaks down, the copper gets brittle, switches overheat, and they just overheat because of the exposure. And firefighters will point that out. So they're a really good tool. So are there certain times of the year where safety is more of a concern on farms just because of what's happening, or is safety really an issue all year long? Safety is an issue all year round in most sectors. Um, there are obviously times of year which are, we have more incidents occur. And I'm talking the traumatic incidents. I mean, our biggest issue in the whole sector is muscle skeletal disorders, ergonomics, you know, overexerting, awkward position, repetitive motion. Those are actually our biggest problems. And that's the ones that, you know, from talk to any farmer and he's got knee problems, he's got back problems, he's got, that, that is our biggest long-term one. Noise is the next one because it's permanent. Once you lose your hearing, you're gone. Um, you don't get it back. Um, but when it comes to the traumatic type incidents, they occur generally during seeding season and then harvesting season. And you end up with blips. So if you look at it, you'll end up with our spring season with, with incidents. That's when we're working with our big equipment. That's when we're working around our large equipment. And in the fall, we're working around with the big equipment. And both of those tend to be seasons we're rushing. So you're rushing, you've got big equipment. Our equipment is totally unforgiving. A 200-horsepower tractor does not care where you are, what you're doing. It, it has no, no sense like that. Um, the other times of the year, of course, we have people that are doing snow plowing, and you know, they, they roll tractors over, they're snow plowing, they get over too close to a ditch. And we, we have incidents all the time of the year. And then there's certain times of the year I think it's bad for road traffic. 
um, is another one. And the most the most critical time for that one is in the summertime, which is more hay season, spray season, early cereal harvest, because we have people that are trying to get to their vacation property and we're in their way. And or, believe it or not, that early in the morning, late at day. So it's what we, what a city person would call their commute time. We're in their way. And, and, and we have every right to be on their roadways, but we're in their way. And what do they do? They pull out and try and pass us when they can't or shouldn't. And or they are um, preoccupied and distracted driving. And they're texting and they don't realize their speed of encroachment. So we're only doing 30, 35 kilometers an hour. They're doing 80. They figure they can type two more words in on their on their on their text texting, and by the time they're finished doing the texting, it takes about six seconds to close that encroachment. And if you look down for four seconds, you're you're not going to be able to stop in that time now on encroachment. It's different if you both vehicles are doing 80, but if one's doing 30 and you're doing 80, the encroachment time just so we're getting a lot. We're getting an increase in those incidents too, where it's and and because of the size of the farm equipment, the incident doesn't tend to. The farmer doesn't tend to be the loser in the situation. The car tends to be the loser. It's it's a it's a simple physics um, mass wins. And when we talk about incidents being traumatic, I mean that's pretty traumatic for a farmer to be involved in an incident like that where they're okay, but the other person isn't. It's it, and that is one of the things that often happen. It's the other thing around workers and young workers is that, you know, it's it's to know that you could have done something different, and you chose not to today. Um, so it was a little bit foggy this morning coming in. I couldn't do anything in the field first thing this morning in reality, but I was going to move some equipment, and I did it. And now for some reason, a, I a pickup trucks run into me. Um, that decision now to the farmer is going to go keep going through his head. Well, why did I have to go and do that this morning? There's no reason I couldn't have done it after lunch. And we actually end up with a lot of accidents in the broad daylight, nice weather, middle of the day, and it's the same thing. People aren't expecting you to be there, and you're there. And why are you there? It's, it's a question that needs to be asked. It happens a lot with people working alone. You hire a kid, kid's working for you. It's a simple, relatively simple job. They're doing the job. You go off and do something else. The kid does something different, does something wrong, and gets injured. We find that that, that kind of a traumatic really impacts the farmer for a long time afterwards. And it's usually family, or it's the kid from across the lane. Um, so it's, it's, it's not the same thing as having an industrial accident, and it's just somebody you hired that you end up knowing the people. You're in small town. You go to the same church as their parents, la, la, la. The story keeps building, and that guilt is a horrendous thing for people. And uh, we're down here um, at the Outdoor Farm Show because the, the CASA Bee Grain Safe Trailer is here, and Grain Farmers of Ontario helped them out to bring that to the show. And I think you had mentioned earlier that it hasn't really been to this area yet. Um, can you tell us a bit more about what the trailer is? Well, first, I'd like to thank the Grain Farmers of Ontario for helping us get it down here. Uh, the Canadian Agriculture Safety Association built the grain uh, entrapment demonstration unit about, uh, I think we started to operate it about a year and a half ago in Western Canada. 
It's the first of its kind in Canada. There are several units in the States. Um, we've never been able to really bring it to Canada because it's expensive to transport it. Um, but uh, the purpose of it was to demonstrate grain entrapment. And then we also use and then possible methods of rescue or, or suggestions in rescue. The other purpose is it's used for training. Um, and so, as I said, I'd like to thank Grain Farmers for bringing it down here. Um, it's the first time it's been in eastern Canada. I can call Ontario Eastern Canada because it was built in western Canada and Cass's office is out of Winnipeg. Um, but we did train 100 firefighters since it's been down here and we have trained uh, 11 master trainers so they can go on with training. And I think it sounds like it's going to stay in the area and do another training session before it heads back west. Um, but the reason is is that we're, we're glad, as I say, it's an expensive unit. It's a hard thing to get. There's no way we could have afforded to build a unit for here. And it would have been a, a lot more money to bring a demonstration unit from the U.S. up here. Uh, and the importance is, um, the one thing I'm finding is that people don't understand the speed that they can become entrapped in flowing grain. It's, it's moving grain is the problem. And the one that I found was interesting, people have been talking to, they don't think of kids riding on grain wagons when the grain wagons fall. And the same thing happens in a, in a traveling grain wagon. Um, once the grain is in motion, the heavier object sinks quite quickly. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's actually, I can say this, and I can tell you, the nice thing about the grain unit is I can demonstrate it to people. And in demonstrating it to people, I think it, it seems to have that much more of an impact. Even myself, I haven't seen the demonstration for two years, and I keep telling people, you can become entrapped in 15 seconds, 20 seconds. But the first time I saw it happen again here on Tuesday, it was like, it does happen that fast. Um, and I think that's one of the big surprises, is, is people tend to think of, well, I can be fast enough and I can react. But if you're up to your knees and it's flowing grain, you can't get out. And so the, your only option is to keep sinking. <laughs> That's a one thing I guess we sometimes forget and having your you had another little demonstration with uh, someone's foot and grain how little of you actually needs to be in like I think you had said basically when you're at your knees then you can't get it takes about three to five seconds to get buried to your knee and if you're into your knee it takes now our demonstration unit we were showing was only five inches deep in grain and that takes about eight times the weight of the object to pull it out if you're buried to your knee it takes about 300 pounds extra effort over your body weight to free you. Once you get to your waist, it's about 600 pounds. Once you're at your chest depth, it's about a thousand pounds of pressure you put on to pull. And if you think of that pulling, things like your feet aren't moving the same speed as what you're pulling on. And so you end up doing a lot of traumatic damage to, a, to an, an entrapped person if you just harness them, rope them, and pull them. You've got to get the, the grain down to the knees, below the knees, before you can free the person. So when you do the demonstration, you're showing how to use a coffer dam. Can you give a brief explanation of what that's like and, and how that works? What, what the coffer dam is, and many people have heard of rescue tubes, it's a four-parted tube, the one we're using. Um, there's different units. There's three. I, I actually prefer the ones that are they're like six or so because they can go for a larger person and the person who's in a more of an awkward position. The one we've got is kind of ideal. The victim's got to be straight up and down. But the idea is you put these, this tube around the, per, the person who's entrapped and then you can weasel it down by putting your weight on it. It gets around the person and creates a dam. So much like a dam does with water, it holds the grain back. And then you need to pull the grain from around the person who's entrapped. So we're using an auger that's battery powered 
but you could use as simple as um, plastic ice cream containers. It just takes a little bit longer. Um, if the victim's conscious and their hands are free, they can actually help fill the containers. Once you get them free, then you can get them to call, crawl out of the tube or you can lift them out of the tube because it holds the grain back. We know that there are several fire departments in rural Ontario that have invested in coffer dams or there are some farms that have them available or elevators that have them available. They've said there's an incident, come and use ours, come and get it. But if there isn't a coffer dam system available, what can be used in an emergency situation instead? First of all, there are several out there, um, but even say in this area, which is Zorro Township, um, they've got one, they've never been trained on how to use it. Um, so there's a number of people have these things, they've never been trained on how to use them, which is critical because you could do damage or do more damage, you could bury a victim, those kind of things. Um, in reality, what you should do is treat a grain entrapment situation much like you would any first aid situation. So the first thing you should do is make sure the grain stops moving. So make sure that the augering system, the conveying system, even if it's a gravity feed, um, get it closed off so the grain can't move because that will relatively ensure that the victim won't become more entrapped. Then the next thing is on the list would be to contact 911. You still should get emergency services to come if they're buried, you know, mid-thigh, anything higher than that. There's a lot of complications that come about when you're entrapped. So you can get compartmentalization, you can get rescued, think you're fine, and an hour later you drop from shock. Um, so that you still need EMS to come and the person should still go for medical attention. What you can do, and, and I would only recommend this if it's a situation and you um, feel confident that you can do it and time is going to be one of those things that's critical for some reason. Um, you could build a coffer dam with three pieces of plywood. You could build it with some other hard devices to build an area around the victim and then dig it out. The trouble is, is that we often have people go in to do the rescue that aren't trained. And what happens is, if you know how grain goes as it flows, it forms sort of a funnel. And when the people go in, what happens is they cause a bit of an avalanche. And so, A, the person who goes in to rescue often gets into trouble and they end up falling down the slope and you end up with two people entrapped in grain but the first person and the second person might actually get buried because of the flowing, the grain avalanching. So we don't recommend that people go in without the proper training and especially that they should be harnessed and tied off so that they, you can keep them from going deeper in the grain because they're harnessed off. And so that there's, you shouldn't just go in and go. If once you turn the grain off and the person's there and 911's been called and your volunteer fire department's on the way, you treat it like first aid. You, you, you're meant to make sure the person doesn't get into any more problems. And so that's that's your role. If you're in North British Columbia and you know the fire department's not going to be there for an hour and the person is struggling to breathe, then, then you're in a situation, well, as a first aider, I need to go another step. And so then you can think about trying to go in and do some things. But I wouldn't recommend, we end up with a lot of multiples in silos and grain bins and those kind of things. And often it's because the person's tried to do some sort of rescue and hasn't done it properly. And I think when we were watching uh, the demonstration, um, one thing that was mentioned is that uh, the pressure of just uh, going in, is so someone that you use something to stand on and so that that distributes their pressure a little bit, but you're going to be putting a lot more pressure on the person that's been entrapped as well, which 
is you sometimes forget about how detrimental that that in itself will be. I, I don't think people understand how much the weight of the grain actually is. And when, and when you breathe out, it's much like the example that someone else has been using today has been the boa constrictor. So you breathe out and what happens is your chest cavity contracts a little bit, grain fills that and then when you try to breathe again, you can't expand your chest cavity. So what happens is it gets tighter and tighter. And if you walk around the person who's entrapped, the same thing happens is you sort of pack the grain. And so that's why spreading your weight out on something. It can be as simple as a piece of cardboard, a piece of wood. We've been using a piece of sow um, pork barn flooring. It could be a Coke container. It can be, there's lots of things you can use. Um, but the idea is, and, and I made the mistake in doing the demonstration the other day, I stepped off it and went up to halfway up to my knee. You know, I totally lost my weight and my balance and my, because I stepped off my, my safety. It was choice. almost a real rescue. <laughs> well, I could reach to the side and I still have my foot on the thing, but, and, and the grain wasn't moving. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you walk across grain, you will sink up to your calves quite easily. Um, so yeah, I had to empty my shoes out and I had to do those kind of things, but it was like, I just looked over at my partner and I said, I stepped off. <laughs> so, and that's how fast sometimes incidents occur. Um, you think you've got everything under control and something like that happens. And now if it had been a real rescue and I'd been in a confined space and I didn't know what I was doing and I, it could have gotten, and I panicked when I stepped and. Who knows what could have happened? That was actually one of the things that when we watched the demonstration was mentioned as well is sort of the, the mental state of the person that's trapped in the grain, if they are conscious still, that you should give them a bucket or a scoop or something that they could use to, to help get the grain out themselves. And that kind of keeps their mind occupied and, and helps uh, sort of lessen the shock. Well, I think that's the um, human side of the rescue um, is that when you put that coffer dam around them, you're now, you're now entrapping them further. Because they've got this metal tube that's going to be less than a foot away from their face. They're stuck in it. So one of the important things that we don't do during the demonstration is talk to the person. Talk to them. Make them feel like there's something they can do. In the tube we've got, it actually does structure up. There's like a ladder inside. There's no reason why they can't, if they're conscious, grab onto the ladder. Once you get to a certain point, they can start moving, get their own knees free, um, involve them in the rescue. And the thing is that does sort of take, for a lot of people, will take their mind off the situation or the panic of the situation. It'll go, oh, I'm fixing this. And a lot of farmers are, and I've been told guys are the same way, we're fixers. So give them the opportunity to help fix the situation they're in because, believe it or not, they're probably going to be embarrassed too. Um, and they're going to be really embarrassed when everybody from the local fire department shows up. <laughs> so, so if they can be halfway through a rescue when this happens, then they don't look quite as embarrassed. <laughs> and that's any situation. That could be any, just trying to make them feel like they're, they've got, they're regaining their own control before they get control. That helps anyone in an emergency situation. And uh, we've been doing the demonstration, you guys have been doing the demonstrations throughout the day here, and you've also had opportunities to talk to people coming by. What kind of conversations have you been having with people just stopping at the trailer? And I know you have a few different um, smaller demonstrations. Yeah, it's, it's, the fun, it's the fun part of the, of the show is because that's where you get all the um, anecdotal stories. Um, and, and people love to tell their war stories. Um, you only acknowledge the war stories and go on. So there's lots of stories out there. The interesting one is the surprise of the kids on how fast you can be um, entrained. Um, the understanding of the weight 
um, people don't think about the weight. Like uh, even the fellow who's come from Casa from Winnipeg, Rob, they've been doing the the work with canola in Western Canada, which tends to be a little more, I'm going to call it buoyant, a little more free flowing. And and he says the corn is interesting because when the corn we're using in the demonstration actually starts to grab the dummy in the system, it really pulls the dummy. So I think there's a bit more weight to the grain in the actual right against the person. And so he was actually, he says, it's interesting using the corn versus wheat or canola. Um, and so there's those kind of discussions. The biggest one is people haven't thought about it. There's people who have been primarily livestock operators. They haven't thought about the grain handling. Um, and so in doing the awareness, we're making them think about safety, period. And so like as we were discussing earlier, we start talking about working alone. So I'm here talking about grain safety, and all of a sudden we're talking about working alone. You know, and, and, and then they're talking about a child, so you get to talk about ridership or no, no riders on equipment. And so the conversation, although the intent is, is grain safety, our, our conversations flow everywhere in the time in between demonstrations. And that's, that's the good part about it, is because it, it's all about behavioral change. This is, that's what we're trying to do. And that's probably one of the hardest things to do is, is change behavior. So what are some, I guess, tools or tips or resources that farmers can access to help them change behavior or to even recognize that what they're doing is maybe not that safe? I, I think there's lots of resources out there. Um, you can go to websites. I mean, even the demonstration we're doing now is available as a YouTube video. Um, there are manufacturers tend to have a lot of good information. Uh, we have another location on site. We're partnering with Dollar Carn, and they're doing a Stop, Think, Act. It's a very simple concept that we've been working with ESSO for a number of years on, and it, and and I can do it in my little elevator speech. The idea is before you do something, you stop. You think what's the worst thing that can happen, and what am I going to do about it? And then if you think you can do it safely with your own thought process, then you do it. I don't tell you no, so I can do this with an 80-year-old farmer, and I'm never selling them, don't do it. And I can do it with a five-year-old, and I'm never saying, don't do it. It's up to them to decide, what did mom and dad tell me that's safe or not safe? What am I supposed to do? Um, so it's, you know, go to the simple attitude of um, having a horse and not wrapping your halter strap around your hand. You always let the halter strap slide in your hand. Simple things. I don't have my riding boots on. I've just got my running shoes on. Well, then I shouldn't get on the horse because my foot might slip through the stirrup. That's the worst thing that happened. Changing a light bulb. Should I turn off the light switch? Do I need to get a ladder? Do I have the right size light bulb? And, and the conversation's easy. What usually happens when I start that conversation is the people on the other side of the conversation come back with suggestions. Everybody knows how they should do it. They've been told many times before. But the thing is, we don't think about it. We get complacent, so it's the way we always do it. And what we want you to do is, so you go to pull the example I can use, big one, combine. You're going to pull the combine out of the shed first time this year. I guarantee you, you won't be driving it as accurately and smoothly as you did when you parked that combine. So you need to make sure someone's helping you look out for the side doors so you're not slamming into a post as you're coming out of the barn. You need to make sure you're turning wide enough the first time. Once you've been around the field three or four times with the combine, yes, you're going to be the pro again. It's like riding the bike and away you go. But when you start it up in the spring, you need to stop and think what's the worst thing that can happen. And maybe you do need someone to help just back it out of the shed. It's because damage to your header three days before you want to start harvesting wheat is really not going to be unfrustrating. 
So you mentioned uh, there's a YouTube video version. What are some of the online places that people can find CASA? CASA's website is a bilingual one. So it's CASA, which is C-A-S-A hyphen, and then it's A-S-C-A, which is the French, dot C-A. And once you're on their website, you can find it by going Canadian Egg Safety Association also. Um, once you're on it, then go to the Bee Grain Safe um, component of it, and you'll be able to find the, the listings there. Um, my daytime job is with Workplace Safety Prevention Services. Our website's a little bit easier. It's wsps.ca. Go farm safety. So slash put farm safety in it. And then you'll find all the resources there. Go to resources down the bottom and you'll be able to get to CASA's website there. It'll be listed. So, And there are lots of other resources in North America. Um, Ohio State is a very good state for having safety. Um, New York State is a very good state with some information. For grain handling, go to Nebraska, go to um, any of the big western grain states, South Dakota, North Dakota. Uh, they will all have a lot of material on grain safety uh, and a lot of other materials that you can use for your safety around the world. Great, Dean. Well, thank you for joining us today uh, here on site at the Outdoor Farm Show and chatting a bit more about uh, CASA and WSPS. I think that is a lot of uh, valuable information on both ends. So thank you. Thanks, Megan. Thanks, Rachel. We are joined on the podcast now by Grain Farmers of Ontario CEO, Barry Sem. Thanks for joining us today, Barry. Hello, Rachel. So we've had a busy couple of weeks. Why don't we talk about some of those events that we've been at, starting with our annual general meeting? Well, the AGM, uh, Rachel, as uh, you were aware and you were there, was last week in Woodstock, uh, first day of the uh, outdoor farm show. Uh, good attendance by uh, delegates and some members uh, to the meeting, since it's an open uh, meeting to our membership. The uh, meeting was kicked off by uh, Minister Hardiman, and that was positive. We haven't had a uh, the Minister of Agriculture attend a meeting for a good number of years, so that was positive to, uh, with the new government in place, new minister for uh, him to come out and uh, and start off our meeting. Uh, it followed by reports by our chair Marcus Hurl, uh, myself, and Crosby Devitt, uh, given the um, given the operations of. Uh, of the uh, organization and then the financial statements were uh, presented by our auditor another good financial um, result for gfo i often say that when we have a good result farmers have a good result because uh, we base our um, we base our uh, budgets on an average uh, crop and when we get above average uh, uh, returns that means the farmers on on in average have uh, have a good crop so uh, from that perspective pretty positive and at that AGM, we also have resolutions presented by the different districts. Can you tell us a little bit about what some of those resolutions were this year? Yeah, there's always good, uh, good positive discussion about a number of issues that uh, can be either particular to the district or particular to, uh, to our farmer members in general. Uh, one of those was uh, something that we've been working on already, and that's a contingency uh, uh, payment. Uh, given the trade war between uh, China and U.S. and soybeans uh, is having effect on the market price for Ontario farmers and uh, Canadian soybean uh, growers. And the, um, uh, we sent in, and the resolution addressed that, is that we uh, needed to uh, give the government of Canada notice that uh, there is other um, harm caused by these discussions and these tariffs being put in place, even not directed uh, uh, to 
Canada in this particular issue, but having the effects between two other countries having a downward effect in, on uh, commodity prices. So that was one resolution. Uh, the other one was um, that comes to mind was uh, the issue of bomb testing. Uh, again, frustration by our producers that um, take a load in and it gets uh, tested positive for bomb. Um, you know, a, a load from the same bin, same field, uh, comes in and it's uh, cleared of bomb. So yeah, just a process where we could, or a protocol that uh, would help uh, alleviate some of that frustration by our farmer members. Now, the other event that we've been at is the International Plowing Match, and we had a chance to meet with some of our new provincial elected officials on Tuesday um, for the VIP event. Can you tell us a little bit about why that's important for us to make sure that we're interacting with our political officials? Well, it's it's an ongoing uh issue. They have a lot of influence on our lives, both from a positive perspective and a negative perspective. The IPM is uh, the only time I understand that the, uh, that the legislature recesses, uh, that the MPPs have agreement to, uh, to take that day off and come to a particular issue. Again, my understanding, that's the only time. I've heard that as well. And this week was particularly a big week with all that big debate that they had Sunday night into Monday morning with the Toronto Council reduction. So to have a break to come farming on Tuesday, maybe that was a welcome break for them. Yeah, well, there was uh, likely some tired people Monday evening uh, getting over to the IPM. Uh, But again, the IPM uh, is a farm show. Uh, It's a good place to get the politicians out of that uh, Toronto, Queen's Park environment and talk to them about the ag issues that are going on. So it's just, um, I guess you could say, speaking on our ground literally and figuratively instead of that in uh, going in and meeting them in their offices or their constituency offices is uh, out on the farmer's field and uh, a whole different field to that when you're doing that. Thanks for joining us for an update today, Barry. Well, thank you, Rachel. Thank you for listening to our Green Talk podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. A special thank you to our guests, Dean Anderson and Barry Senth. Also, thank you to our producer, Mark Carter. If you've liked what you've heard today on the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes and Google Play.